1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. This morning we are considering Samuel, the deliverer judge. In this chapter, at last, we read of blessing. At last, we read of revival. At last, we read of triumph over the enemies of God. We see victory and the tables are turned for the people of God. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they come no more into the coast of Israel. So the victory has been attained and it is a wonderfully full and complete victory. Not like in Afak. This time God has intervened on behalf of Israel and has delivered them from the hand of the Philistines and given the people of God victory. Not only are the Philistines subdued through God's power, the Lord visiting his people, they also put up the memorials of victory. They raise their Ebenezer. They plant this stone in remembrance that God has turned the tables and given them deliverance from the Philistines. And so the church has been brought into blessing at long last. And we have to ask, why has this happened? What has taken place? Why is chapter 7 so unlike chapter 4? We want to trace the great reversal. We want to look at the path to victory and deliverance that has been achieved in it. We want to discover what is the key to revival. The key to triumph, to victory. Well, actually, as you study the chapter, you will see that there are a number of keys, a number of doors to revival, not just one. There are many factors, but there are certainly two that stand out, two main ones. What is the main differences then between chapter 7 and chapter 4? In chapter 4, Israel smitten, Ichabod, the glory gone. In chapter 7, Philistia, smitten. Ebenezer raised. The Lord has helped and intervened. What makes the difference? In chapter 4, there was the manipulation of God. That didn't do anything. In chapter 4, there was no deliverer, no, no intercessor. There was no one to come between, no saviour. But here in chapter 7, it's different. And the difference is in two words, two, two key words, bringing to us two key themes, two key things. 
And one of those things we're considering this morning. One key word. Samuel. He's key. He's the main man. He's the judge deliverer. He makes the difference. So he is the one who is the deliverer, the, the prophet and judge of Israel, who God has raised up and used to bring the victory. And he stands out in this chapter. He dominates this chapter. His name occurs many, many times. There are two ways to take Samuel in the preaching of this chapter. We could take him in a moralizing way and talk about revival and say in revival there's always a man. There's always a preacher. There's always someone who is standing to the fore. A preacher who calls to repentance as Samuel does. A preacher who prays and intercedes as Samuel does. A preacher who makes much of the atonement, much of the cross as Samuel does. A preacher who proclaims repentance and faith as Samuel does. But we could take it that way. And no doubt a sermon might be produced that might be edifying. But I don't think that is really what the Holy Spirit intends in this chapter. The Holy Spirit is not preaching up a mere man. The Holy Spirit never does that. Not a mere man. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to the real answer, to the true answer, to the only man who ever is the answer. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Christ. That's what this chapter is about. He's pointing us to Christ. He's pointing us to the real answer, to the real deliverer. So I'm not going to use Samuel as a picture of the revival preacher. I'm using Samuel as a picture of Christ. The only deliverer. The only one who has the answer for us. He pictures Christ. You see, that's, that's what all these deliverers in Israel did. They portrayed the seed of the woman. They portrayed the deliverer to come. They portrayed our redeemer, the saviour. Every deliverer of God's people pictures Christ. Because the people at that time, whenever they were delivered and they saw the deliverer, they would have asked, is this the seed of the woman? Is this him? Is this the promised one who sent to save us? Could it be him? Could it be Samuel? The people of God would ask that. And every generation, they ask that. But as you read on in the life, you find faults. You find sins and mistakes that they made. And, and you realize, no, no, not, not the true deliverer, not the real answer. But for a time, he, he seemed to be. For a time, he pictured him. And that's how you treat these deliverers and these judges. Is this the Christ? Could this be him? And then you realize it's not him. But... He pictures him. He points him out. He's, he's still reminding us he is to come. And so we're always preaching Christ from these men. Not in the light of their faults, but in the light of the expectation that the people of God had 
of a true deliverer. And so, congregation, I'm preaching Christ this morning. We preach not ourselves. We exalt no man but Christ Jesus the Lord. He's always the key to the right interpretation of the Scriptures. They are they that testify of me, he said. And so I find Christ in this chapter, as I do in all the Word of God. Christ is always the only answer. And he is the only one who destroys our true enemies, our real enemies, the devil and sin, the principalities and the powers of the world of darkness that lord over sinners. He's the only one who brings that deliverance, who makes a show of them openly, destroys them in his cross and by his blood atonement. And if you're to be delivered, if you're to be an overcomer over sin, if you're to be delivered from the power of hell and of death and of your flesh, then the only one who will do it is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I point you to him. This deliverance then begins with the presence of Samuel. Samuel speak unto all the house of Israel. There it begins. There's a new man on the scene. There is a judge who has come to the fore. It's Samuel. One who had a special birth, as we saw. One with a godly mother, as we saw. One who was brought to the temple and dedicated to God, as we saw. One asked of God, one sent by God, one called of God. Does that remind you of something, even as just a little infant? It's Christ. I mean, Luke saw that. That's why he starts his gospel narrative along the lines of Samuel. And uses the language of Samuel and the imagery of Samuel. The child grew. The child was strengthened. In body and in mind, he grew and he prospered. Reminding us of Samuel. Because Luke saw Samuel as a type of Christ. He's right to do so. And so he grows and he becomes the prophet and the judge of Israel. And so we see him here as the deliverer in Israel. Now you know that Samuel was a judge. The chapter stresses that a number of times. You have it there in verse 6 at the end. Samuel judged the children of Israel. Verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Verse 16 at the end, judged Israel in all those places. Verse 17, there he judged Israel. He's the judge. And as a judge, he portrays Christ, just as all the judges did in the book of Judges. All of them, Gideon, Samson, they're all pictures of Christ. And Samuel is the last judge. And he's a mighty picture of Christ, who is the judge sent by the Father. You do know that Jesus is a judge. He himself told us, the Father judge of no man, but have given all judgment unto the Son. So even in that title as judge, in that role as judge, we're we're seeing Christ, the picture of Christ. The Lord shall endure forever, the Bible says. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. That's Christ. The Lord is the judge. 
of all Israel and of all the world. So just in that aspect alone, we know that he pictures and portrays Christ. And that's how he delivers Israel. He delivers as the judge king. He also delivers as the prophet. We'll see that. He's the prophet to Israel. And he delivers as a priest because he gets involved in the work of the priest, even though he didn't belong to the house of Aaron. He's in all these roles, prophet, priest, judge king. And it's in those roles that he becomes the deliverer of Israel. And Christ in all of those roles becomes our saviour and our deliverer and gives us the victory over the world, the flesh and the devil. And so you see, it begins here with Samuel as, as a prophet. Verse 3, he spake unto all the house of Israel. He has a word from God. Deliverance begins with the light. Deliverance begins with the word of God. Deliverance begins with a heavenly prophet. There's no salvation without light. And Samuel begins with the light. He comes out of the obscurity, out of the darkness, out of the despair of all the past defeat. And there he is, the man of God with a word for Israel. To bring them into the light. It all begins there. No light, no salvation. It's as clear as that. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And light before salvation too. And so light is foundational. And Samuel leads him in the way. He leads him into the light as a true prophet. He leads him on to the deliverance in the word of God. And we have to remember that. All these Old Testament prophets, that's, that's what they were. They were bringing Israel to salvation in the light of the word. They're all light bearers. Every prophet was a light bearer. They brought the light. They reflected the light. They held forth the light. But not one of them was the true light. Not one of them was the saving light. They all pictured the saving light. But not one of them was in truth and reality. Until one day Jesus came. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He doesn't reflect the light. He doesn't just, as it were, you know, hold the light. He is the light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Oh, he gives us the light of salvation. He brings us out of the darkness. He shines the way for us. He illuminates it through his wonderful, glorious person. And we follow that light in following Christ. And we believe and trust in that light in believing and trusting in Christ. And so we need a prophet who doesn't only just give the light, as Samuel did, but we need a prophet who radiates the very light of his person and glory into our hearts. We need that person. And only that person can be our deliverer. And the only person who is that is Jesus Christ. So we're reminded of the light of deliverance here in Samuel he brings it into our hearts. Oh, preachers, they bring the light of the word, but they just you know, shine it before your face and, as it were, 
reflected into your ear, but they never get into your heart with it. It's only the true prophet of the church, Jesus Christ, the great prophet, who gives the light so as it penetrates into our heart. Without that we cannot be saved. Without that we cannot be delivered. And so Christ is that. The deliverer who brings the light into our darkened heart. Aren't you glad you see this morning? Aren't you glad you see your heart this morning, your sinfulness? Is not all you see, your sinfulness, into your heart? You're not so concerned about the hearts of others, but the Lord has shone the light of himself into your heart, and you see your own heart and sins. And it's not a very nice sight, but you are glad you do see. You see the truth, you see the reality, and you see the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and the salvation that is through him. You see all of this and you have salvation because you have light, the light of Christ. And so that's what God had promised Christ, you see. You remember how at the temple that was predicted of him, a light, he's a light to lighten the Gentiles and he's the glory of his people Israel, a light to lead us on the way. Our shorter catechism, which I like to often quote to you so that you become familiar with it. One of the questions is, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? And the answer is, Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit. He's the only one who can do that. The will of God for our salvation. We know the path. Because our prophet shows us the way, Jesus Christ. Just as Samuel showed Israel the way here. And something else about Samuel here that that we have to note. We have to look for all these redemptive words that occur in the chapter. And one of the words is gather. He gathers the people. He gathers the people to Mizpah. He's the gatherer of Israel. He, he calls them to the place. He calls them to congregate together. He calls them to assemble. And he brings them the word of God. And that's one of the things that the judges had to do, to gather the people. And that's what Jesus Christ does. He gathers. He gathers his people. He redeems all his people as a gathered people, as a flock. Remember how the Bible predicts Shiloh will come? What will stand out about Shiloh? Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He's the gatherer. Of the people. Verse 5, Samuel said, Gather all Israel together. Verse 6, they gathered together to Mizpah. Verse 7, the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah. And whenever they're gathered together, what do they do? They draw water. They draw water out of the wells. And that's what Christ does. He gathers us together to draw the water out of the wells of salvation. He brings us to the place of safety, of refuge, of salvation. The place of refuge. He puts us under his wings, under the skirts of his garments of salvation. And he lets us draw forth the water that came from his side, blood and water. He's opened the fountains of living water. He that believeth on me out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And so they draw the water. As a gather, Christ 
He brings us to the fount of salvation. No salvation without light. No salvation without the gathering of grace. No salvation without the drawing forth from the wells of salvation. All of this is in Christ. Remember how he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He's the gathering point. And he's calling all the sinners from the nations unto himself. He's gathering them unto himself. He opens out his arms, as he did on the cross, to the world and to the nations, to gather them, to gather them under his wing in the call of his grace. Remember how he said, how often would I have gathered your children to gather under my wing? But you would not. He's the gatherer. And if we're to be saved, we're to be gathered by him, and we're to be gathered under his wing, his wing of salvation. Have you gathered to Christ? Have you come under his wings? It's always a gathering of the people, the gathering of the church unto Christ, to be dependent upon him alone. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wing shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So he's, he's the prophet who does all of this. And then he's the priest. And he makes an atonement. You don't see that in chapter 4. Just get the ark. We'll manipulate God. We'll manipulate his ark. That'll, that'll save us. Samuel doesn't. He's not in for manipulation of God. You can't manipulate God. You have to obey God. There has to be the once for all sacrifice that pleases God. That alone. And that alone Jesus Christ offers. And so Samuel took a sucking lamb. The Bible says. He took a lamb. He offered it for a burnt offering. Holy unto the Lord. No salvation without a priest. No salvation without a lamb taken and slain. No salvation without an offering up unto God holy, without a whole burnt offering. And Christ is all of that. And he only is all of that. The true atonement for sin, the one who reconciles us to God, the one who shed not the blood of beasts, but his own blood once for all. That gives the triumph. They overcome him by the blood of the lamb. That's how the Philistines were overcome. By the blood of this sucking lamb. The victory is achieved at the cross. It's obtained at Calvary. And so he's, he's wholly offering up unto God. He's showing the way. He's picturing Christ. He's picturing the salvation that we need. The only answer for us. In all of this. Notice how the Lord thundered in that day. It says there in verse 10. As at the very time of offering up the burnt offering. As the offering was burnt up. The Philistines drew near. The principalities and powers are gathering. Even as the offering is taking place. The Philistines drew near against Israel. But the Lord thundered thundered with a great thunder on that very day at that very time upon the Philistines a deliverance through thunder 
Baal is the thunder god, of course, but he has no real thunder. The Lord is the one who thunders. You remember Hannah's song? She's predicting all of this. She's foreseen all of this in the spirit of prophecy, and now the Lord is thundering. And it's in the cross that God thunders and destroys the principalities and powers. It's in the atonement that the defeat of the enemies of God's people are dealt with. There's no salvation without judgment. And there's no salvation without the defeat of our enemies, our spiritual enemies. And it's at the cross that the devil is destroyed. And the demons are destroyed. And the chains wherewith they bind us are broken. All at Calvary. The great earthquake. The darkness. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that time God thundered. There's a great earthquake. A great judgment is taking place. And the sins of God's people are being dealt with. It was like Sinai in actual fact, Calvary. But God's people are safe in Christ. In all the thundering that goes around, God's people are safe in Christ. And principalities are destroyed and the Lord triumphs over them. Openly triumphs over them in his cross. And it's all pictured here. Through death he destroyed him that had the power of death. So he made atonement. He takes a lamb. But he doesn't only make atonement. What does it say there in verse 9? And Samuel cried unto the Lord. That's the other aspect of priestly work. He makes intercession for the people. He has the people on his heart as he makes the atonement. It's for the people that he loves as he sheds the blood. And that's Christ. His whole work was an intercession. His heart, as he offers himself to God, he does it all for his people in the very act interceding for them. And he continues that act of intercession. Not that he offers himself in heaven, it's a once-for-all offering, but that heart is still the same that wants the salvation of his people. And so he intercedes for them. He prays for them. Gather all Israel to Mizpah, he says, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. In verse 9, Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. Verse 9, and the Lord heard him. That's the kind of deliverer we need. One whose prayer is heard. We have all proved the power of intercession among ourselves marvelously. But there have been intercessions that God has said no to as well. But Christ always intercedes according to the perfect will of his Father. And he never receives a no. Everything is granted to him. And he asks for very great things. Even the uttermost parts of the earth for his Father. He asks for it all and he obtains it too. Because he intercedes He intercedes in the Zion of God. He ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for them. And Samuel pictures that. No deliverance without an intercessor. How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and 
in making continual intercession for us. Haven't we seen this in our studies in Hebrews? Both are indispensable. Both are important for the salvation of God. And Christ is the one who carries out both functions of that high priestly work. And Samuel pictures it. And there's a great deliverance because there's a great intercessor. And it's through the intercession of our dear Lord that we are saved. I I prayed for you, Peter. That your faith does not fail. Maybe you're under attack today. Maybe the devil's attacking your faith. Maybe you feel your faith is about to fail. Oh, it's such feeble faith. Truly it is. All of us have feeble faith. But we have a great intercessor. And miraculously and powerfully our faith is maintained and sustained. Even in the darkness of this world. Even against the might of the devil and Satan himself. Even against the powers of the flesh that we feel in ourselves. Yet our faith is maintained through it all. Because of the intercession of Jesus Christ. Because of the power of his blood. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There's no other course of victory. And so he is the one who prays. Just as Jesus prayed John 17 for us. Do you remember how John said, Oh, you sin. I don't want you to sin, people of God, but I know you do, but don't despair. We have an advocate. We've won in the glory. He's the propitiation for our sins. But he's also implying he, he pleads for us. He intercedes for us. As an advocate does. And then you'll notice that he's the judge who took the stone. And set up the stone and set up the rock. Who causes the people of God to rejoice. Who gives the memorial. Who sets up the banner of salvation. Who will never let us forget. About the salvation that we have in the Lord. That's what Samuel does. He raises up this rock. He raises up this memorial. He raises up this stone. And Christ is the rock raised up that we can never forget. Such a rock as we can never forget. The proportions and the dimensions of his salvation will not allow us to forget. There he looms before us as a rock higher than us so that we can never forget the memorial of our salvation in Christ alone. He won't let us forget. He has given us a memorial too. He gave us this table, did he not? Into this house of Ebenezer itself, he laid this table and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. This do in remembrance of me. I'll never let you forget. And so the great deliverer never lets us forget. He subdues all our enemies. That's what Samuel did. The Philistines, he called down the power of God and the Philistines were destroyed. And it was a great victory. How doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and all our enemies. And that's what the judge of Israel was to do. He was to defend the people as the king was. He was to defend the people from all the enemies. He was to guard them. He was to give them the victory. He was to subdue all the opponents of the people of God. Every deliverer and king in Israel was to do that. 
but the only one who really brings the salvation and the deliverance to his people from the darkest and worst of our enemies is Jesus Christ. He conquers all his and our enemies through his cross. The Lord is our King. He will save us. And he does. His very name tells us he will save us. King Jesus. He will save us from our sins. Because your sins, congregation, are your worst enemies. The enemies that destroy you. The enemies that harden you. The enemies that would bring you down into the very caverns of the darkness of the damned. Your enemy, your sins. He saves us from our sins. He is our king. The lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, the pride of life, the world, the flesh and the devil, they make up the Philistines in our lives. Politics isn't the answer. Economics isn't the answer. None of these things are even beginning to deal with our greatest woes. No, our greatest woes are Satan's sin in the flesh. Our greatest woes are not national or economic. Christ is the only answer to all our woes. This King. The Lord our King. In him we believe. In him we trust. Yet we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Overcometh the world. And notice how the word peace is brought in. In the text here in chapter 7. It is a strange word. A strange expression. But the Holy Spirit has brought the word in. There was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Peace. At the end of the story in the deliverance, there's true peace. And Christ is the one who brings the true peace. The true reconciliation. A reconciliation which seems utterly impossible between the sinner and God. And yet he is the one who brings it in. Peace with God through the blood of the Lamb, through the blood of his cross. And so he he is our peace. He's the only answer. That's what I'm trying to say. And there there are other things here that no doubt could be drawn from this chapter. But there's enough to suffice here to convince us. The Holy Spirit is always drawing you to Christ. Are you feeling defeated? Are you feeling that the Philistines have risen up? The flesh has, has strengthened itself and you're being overcome? Keep looking on to Christ. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. I mean, that's what the apostle is saying to the Hebrews. And they, they had a lot of problems, a lot of struggles. But he says, keep looking on to Jesus. Don't take your eyes off Christ. Keep constantly coming to him for the fresh cleansing, for the fresh 
fellowship and comfort that he will bring to you. Draw afresh from the wells of salvation that are found at his wounded side. So don't take your eyes off your king. He's our king. He will save us.